Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. Now let's jump into this week's show. Very, very quiet. We're hunting wabbits. How is everyone doing today? Supernatural Saturday. I am Praying Medic. Glad you're able to join me today. We are continuing our journey through my book, Divine Healing Made Simple. We're in chapter 8 today. Still in chapter 8. We were in chapter 8 last week too, oddly enough. And chapter eight in my book is Power and Authority for Healing. And it should correctly be titled Power for Miracles and Authority for Healing. Because miracles and healing are two different things. Power and authority are two two different things. They operate differently. And so in last week's message, we talked about power. We talked a little bit about authority, but mostly about power. And what power can do and what it can't do. If you remember from last week, power really is essentially energy. And power flows something like electricity. We have the power of God inside of us. If you're a believer, you have the power of God inside of you. And when you need to work a miracle, you release power. And that power flows out of you and it works miracles. Whether it's creating a new eye for someone who doesn't have an eye or creating a new kidney or bringing dead nerves back to life if you have neuropathy. Releasing power works miracles. So that was last week. You have a reservoir of the power of God inside of you. You have an inexhaustible source of power. So <laughs> should not, you're not draining your own batteries when you are releasing power. Although I will tell you this, I have um, done healing ministry. I don't do a lot of public speaking and I don't travel much. Unlike a lot of people who do what I do. I stay home and write books and do videos. I'm not an itinerant preacher. I don't go to a lot of conferences. When I do, I get emotionally drained. It, It just, it drains me emotionally. Even though I'm an extrovert and I love being around people. When I am doing, when I'm praying for people uh, for long periods of time, it drains me emotionally. I'm not going to lie and say that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't affect me. It, it definitely does affect me. That's why I sit here in my cave and write books, probably. I, you know, I am very glad that there are people who are able to travel from city to city, from church to church, and live out of hotels and do healing ministry for other people. I, I know for, I have friends who... They literally sit in prayer meetings with people who need healing eight hours a day, five days a week. That's all they do is prayer ministry. I do not have the patience to do that. I don't have the stamina to do that. It drains me emotionally. So that's, I don't do that. That's not my calling. My calling is to teach. So that's why I do videos and that's why I write books. I'm a teacher more so than an actual prayer minister. Just background information for what I do. 
I do receive a lot of prayer requests. I don't spend enormous amount of time working on those prayer requests because that isn't my primary calling. My primary calling is teaching others how to get people healed, set free. To kick off today's lesson, I'd like to go to Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And the parallel passage uh, for this scripture is in Matthew chapter 10. So Luke chapter 9 and Matthew 10 are parallel passages. This is what it says in verse 1 of Luke chapter 9. And he called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. He gave them two things. He gave them power and he gave them authority. Power works miracles, cures diseases. Authority casts out devils. That's the foundational understanding of the difference between power and authority. He gave them two things to do two different tasks. So I'd like to quickly go through Matthew chapter 8 and look at some of the ways that Jesus demonstrated what authority looks like. And actually, first, we're going to look at the first verse in Matthew 8, which is actually a demonstration of power. And we're going to contrast power and authority. Um, Matthew chapter 8. Verses 1 through 3. Large crowds followed Jesus, and he came down uh, the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, said the man, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing. Be healed. And instantly his leprosy disappeared. So Jesus touched him and released power. And his skin with leprosy is really a condition of where your skin, the subcutaneous tissue and the soft tissue starts to die. So he released power and he brought the dead tissues back to life. Okay, that isn't a display of power. Now we're going to look at authority. So going to Matthew 8 verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick. Cast out demons and healed all who were sick. Two different things. So there's there's actually three different things. If you look through the New Testament, you'll find that Jesus did three different things in relation to miracles, healing, and deliverance. He cast out evil spirits, which is the cause of many forms of sickness and disease. In Matthew 17, he cast an evil spirit out of a boy who had epilepsy, seizures. Cast out the evil spirit and the seizures were gone. So some conditions and diseases are caused by evil spirits. You heal those people by getting rid of the evil spirit. There are other things like leprosy, where he would release power and he would bring dead tissue back to life. For the people who didn't have an eye or didn't have born deaf, maybe had missing apparatus in their ears, he would release power work a creative miracle, and restore parts of their body that were missing or deformed. So the operation of healing and miracles and deliverance is usually either an an issue of releasing power or exercising authority and commanding something to leave. One more quick example, and this is Matthew 8, 26 and 27. So Jesus is in the boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. A storm blows up and the disciples freak out. And they're wondering, oh, what's going to happen? We're going to drown. Well, Jesus said to them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? 
Then he arose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, Jesus calmed the storm. And how did he do it? He spoke a word. He spoke, literally said peace to the storm and the storm obeyed him. Why did the storm obey him? Why was he able to calm a storm at sea? Because he had authority and he exercised authority and he commanded that storm to cease and desist. It's possible the storm was inspired by or powered by demons. Because usually when Jesus is exercising authority in the New Testament, he is opposing the work of demons. One thing that is worth noting when we're talking about healing miracles and getting rid of evil spirits is that the disciples and Jesus never asked God for healing or miracles. They didn't ask the Father. Jesus didn't say he wasn't in the boat and he didn't pray to the Father and say, Father, would you please calm the storm? Jesus spoke to the storm and made it calm down. He didn't ask the Father. When the disciples were going through the villages, healing the sick and raising the dead, they didn't ask the Father to heal the sick and raise the dead. They exercised the authority that Jesus had given them, and they did it themselves. And this is a a common question people have. And this question is, does God heal or do we heal? Well, it depends on how you look at this. When we are healing the sick and casting out demons and raising the dead and working miracles, we're using power and authority that God has given us. He's granted to us as his kids. He has given us authority and power. So we're using his power and his authority. We're doing it in his name or in his authority. But we're actually the ones that are doing it. If I go to a grocery store and I see somebody in a wheelchair and I do not walk over to them and introduce myself, if I do not pray for them, release power or exercise authority, they're not going to get up out of that wheelchair. And it's not because God doesn't want them healed. It's because he has given me authority to do it. He has authorized me to be his representative on his behalf. He has authorized us to be his hands and feet. So this gets into the question of why are so many people sick? If, if power and healing and miracles are real, why aren't we emptying out hospitals? It's because we, we're not using the authority that God's given us. We could if we wanted to. We could easily go and empty out hospitals if we wanted to, if we chose to, but we've chosen not to. And it's not because God doesn't want those people healed. It's because we're too lazy to go out there and do it. In the early 1900s, John Lake started up the healing rooms in Spokane, Washington. And the funny thing about Lake's ministry was he, had, he was actually under the watchful eye of the government. I forget if it was the FBI or if it was the IRS. I don't know which government agency it was, but they were scrutinizing what Lake was doing. So the healing rooms, people who were praying for everyone in the healing rooms, kept very, very close records and track of everything that they did. Everyone they prayed for, all the healing, all the miracles that they did were all recorded and journaled for five years. In those five years, they healed over 100,000 people 
who came to the healing rooms. And actually, the hospital in Spokane shut down during that time. So many people were being healed that the hospital went out of business. And that is a documented historical fact. You can look it up. We could empty hospitals if we wanted to. We just haven't exercised our authority properly. So I want to talk a little bit and give you an example or an illustration of what authority is really like. If you were to go to work for your local police department, you'd be commissioned as a law enforcement officer. You'd be given a badge and you'd go through a ceremony where you would be commissioned to become a law enforcement officer in your city. And that would be presided over by the chief of police because the chief of police is the one who gives authorization or authority to law enforcement officers to enforce the laws in town. And the chief of police gets his authority from the city council and the mayor. When, when anyone receives authority to do anything, they always receive authority from someone in higher authority. If you were to be a lieutenant in the military, you would be under the authority of a captain. He would be under the authority of a major. He would be under the authority of a general. Authority has rank and hierarchy. You can have higher and lower levels of authority. But authority is relational. It is granted by and to individuals who have a relationship. As a police officer, if you go to a convenience store and you see a robbery in progress, you are authorized to intervene. You're authorized to stop the robbery, to apprehend the criminal, to arrest them, take them down to jail, and have them booked and that for an arraignment. And then the court deals with them after that. Police are authorized to intervene and stop criminal behavior. That is what their authority allows them to do. And they have, they're authorized to use deadly force, non-deadly force, non-lethal force. They can use pepper spray, tasers. They can use guns, handcuffs. They have many different tools that they're authorized to use to enforce the laws. Now, if a policeman is sitting in the parking lot of a convenience store and three or four criminals go in and rob the store, beat and kill the store owner, um, kill three or four people in the store, and then leave, and the police officer watches it all happen and does nothing. Who's responsible for the violence and death? Well, the police officer was authorized to stop the violence, but he didn't do anything. He had the authority, but he refused to do it. He refused to exercise his authority. Whose fault is it? Is it the fault of the criminals? Or do we blame the cop who didn't do anything? He could have radioed. He could have gotten back up. He could have called more law enforcement officers to come and help him. But if he refuses to use his authority, he is responsible for that crime, for uh, being perpetrated. He could have stopped it and he didn't. So let me ask you this. You have a house and there are burglars in your neighborhood who go around burglarizing your neighbor's houses at night. How do you prevent burglary from happening in your house. You lock your doors and lock your windows and keep your house safe. That way, if a burglar comes and tries to break into your house, they have to use force. If you refuse to lock your doors, lock, close your windows and keep your house secure, 
and burglars come and burglarize your house, whose, whose fault is it? Whose responsibility is it? Well, it is the responsibility of the homeowner to secure their home. If they don't, and the burglar breaks in, they could cry and complain all they want, but they're the one responsible for keeping their house safe. They can call the police, and the police may come and apprehend the criminals. But they, we, we have a responsibility to keep our house safe. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute. There's a reason why I'm using this illustration. When a police officer is on duty and he sees a crime in progress, does he call the police chief and say, Hey, chief, I need you to come down here and I need you to arrest these criminals. No, the police officer doesn't call the police chief to come and make the arrest. He does it himself because he's authorized. All right. Does the police officer need to call dispatch or his officer and ask permission to arrest a criminal? No, he doesn't have to ask permission. He's already authorized to intervene, to arrest, to use deadly force if necessary, apprehend the criminal, take him to jail. His authority gives him the right to act independently of supervision. He doesn't have to ask permission. He doesn't ask the police chief to come down and make the arrest. If you understand these principles, you understand a little bit what, about what our authority as believers is like. I do not need to ask God permission if I want to heal somebody. He has already given me authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. I don't need to ask permission. Although, when I started out in healing, I used to ask permission all the time. I would always say, Lord, do you want to heal this person? And I would always see in my mind a little word, you know, yes, I will heal them. And I did this for months. I was always asking permission from God if I could heal this person. And then, you know, he gave me some dreams and he showed me, look, you don't need to ask permission. You have authority. Just do it. All right. So I don't need to ask permission. I also don't need to ask God to do it. I don't ask God, oh, Lord, would you please heal this person? I don't have to. I don't have to ask God for him to heal somebody. He has already given me authority and power to do it. If he's given me authority and power, why do I need to ask permission? He has authorized me. He's authorized you to do the same thing. He has given you the same authority that he gave the 12 disciples. To heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the kingdom, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and work miracles. You have all the authority and power you will ever need to do that. And you don't need to ask permission. And here's the bad part about this. If you have people in your family and they're not getting healed, well, you're the one responsible for doing it. If you are a Christian and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it is your responsibility to get people healed in your sphere of influence. That, that is what God has asked you to do. And if you did not know that, you know that today. It's your responsibility. He has given you authority to do it. And I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody. I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to feel inspired. I want you to realize you have all the tools, all the authority, all the power you'll ever need to do this. And 
this gets down to the issue of does God cause us to be sick? Does God allow us to be sick? Does God put sickness on us? Going back to the first chapter of Job, Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2. Before Job was attacked and lost his family, lost his house, lost his cattle, lost his health, we see that Satan was the one who brought all that upon him. Jesus said, John 10.10, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life in that more abundantly. Jesus said, There is a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of God. And everything bad that happens is not because God wants you to suffer or be afflicted or to lose anything. It is because there is a kingdom of darkness that wants to destroy you, kill you, take your joy and your peace, and make your family sick. And it is our job, it is your job, to oppose the work of the enemy. Jesus came that we may have life, and that more abundantly. And if it does not bring light, life, and love, it is not from God. God does not make us sick. That is what the enemy does, the thief, Jesus called him. If you leave your car sitting outside on the street, unlocked with the windows rolled down or even the doors open, and a thief breaks into that car and steals your car and takes your stuff, again, whose fault is it? Who is it to blame? Oh, did God allow that thief to steal your car? Is God punishing you because the thief came and stole a car that you left unlocked? Well, I would suggest that maybe you have a little bit of responsibility because you didn't lock and secure your car. You could say God allowed it. You could also say I should have been more mindful and taken care of my stuff. Now I want to get to a verse that God has used to help me understand how that all works. And that's Ephesians 4.26, where Paul said, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anger gives the devil a foothold, and the word there in the Greek, foothold, is actually the word that indicates as a military or a strategic opportunity for an enemy to attack you. If you harbor anger over a long period of time, it gives the enemy an open door of access to attack you. It's like leaving your house unlocked or your car unlocked, harboring anger toward other people. That's what the Bible says. You are leaving an open door for the thief to come in and attack you if you harbor anger toward people over a long period of time. Jealousy, resentment, bitterness, all of those negative emotions create wounds in your soul. And those wounds are the places where the enemy comes and attacks you. And it is your job to release and let God heal you of bitterness, disappointment, anger, jealousy, rage, hatred, you name it. If you have negative emotions like that, it's your job to deal with that. And the way you deal with it is you ask Jesus to take away the negative emotion and heal the wound in your soul. And if you do that, those emotions will be gone, the wounds will be healed, and many times you will actually feel an evil spirit lifting off of you and being removed. It's self-deliverance is what it is. You will feel all this, uh, the weight and the tension 
uh, release and be gone if you will allow God to heal you of those negative emotions. And that is one way to start walking down this road to being healed yourself if you need healing and you have had people pray for you and you haven't been healed, consider the need for emotional healing. There's a lot of different things that we can do to get people healed and to get ourselves healed. We can release power. We can exercise authority. We can command evil spirits to leave. Authority also comes into play when we are working against things like cancer. Okay. And there are a couple of different strategies you can use to heal cancer, but they all involve authority. And I frequently use either, I will command the tumor cells to shrink and die, or I will command the tumor to leave, or I will make a prophetic declaration and declare that the person is going to go to an appointment and they will be found cancer free. In any of those scenarios, you're, you're exercising authority over something and you're commanding it to leave because it's not supposed to be there. That's what authority does. Authority helps us get rid of things that aren't supposed to be there. No one is supposed to have cancer. No one is supposed to have a staph infection. No one is supposed to have Lyme disease. Those are all bacterial and viral infections and cancer. We're not supposed to have any of that. And you exercise authority and you command it to leave. That is how you exercise authority. You don't yell and scream, I'm claiming my authority. I'm taking authority over this. I'm, you know, taking authority is not screaming and yelling and hollering. I'm taking my authority. (laughs) When a a policeman doesn't show up on scene and tell the robber, I'm taking my authority over this scene. I'm an authority. I have authority over all this. That's a, a policeman doesn't do that. That's not how you exercise authority. When you're a policeman, you go in, you find the bad guy, you wrestle him, you take him down, you handcuff him, and then you put him by forcibly in the police car and you take him to jail. That is exercising authority. Exercising authority over disease and sickness is commanding it to leave. It is going to war against it. And it is allowing God to show you what is wrong and how to get rid of it. And you keep going until it is gone, until until it's not there anymore. That is exercising authority. I don't have a whole lot more uh, on Supernatural Saturday. That is the down low on how to exercise authority. Next week, we're going to talk about God's presence. And I'm looking forward to next week's message because I think I'm going to try something different. Next week, I think I'm going to explain God's presence and how you can feel God's presence and how that works for healing and miracles. But I'm also going to spend a little bit of time just allowing you to feel God's presence. So if you're one of those people who feels like you never sense God's presence, you don't know where he is, you never feel, you know, the joy of God, we're going to try an experiment next week. And we'll see if you can actually experience God's tangible presence. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. So. On that note, I'm going to finish up for today. I love you all. You're amazing. Thanks for tuning in to Supernatural Saturday. I will catch you on next week's broadcast. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. 
If you have any questions or comments about this show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.